You're listening to the Fresh Air Sports Hub. Here comes Usain Bolt! Usain Bolt storming through! He takes it again! Down goes Frazier! Yeah, down goes Frazier! He hits one! Oh, what a goal! It's Lillard! He got the shot off! on freshair.org.uk Hello, welcome to this week's Sports Hub show on Fresh Air with me, Peter Johnson, joined with Alfie Steiner. Uh, just running through the headlines this week before we get on with our discussion. This week sees two England versus Spain semi-finals in the Champions League as Manchester City and Real Madrid and Liverpool and Villarreal face off for a place in this season's Champions League final in Paris on the 28th of May. There's the potential for the fourth All-English final in 15 years should Liverpool and Manchester City both progress. In tennis, Emma Raducanu is on the search for her fourth coach in less than a year as she announced earlier this morning that she's parted company from Torben Belts just after just five months. She cited the need for a new training model as the reason for her decision. Raducanu enters the Madrid Open, which begins on Thursday with, the, with a career-high ranking of world number 11. And the first time I think on Fresh Air, we've got some news from Snooker to bring you, a bit of a change of pace. Uh, the World Championship recruitable is into the quarterfinal stages, uh, with World of One Ronnie O'Sullivan facing Stephen Maguire in the last eight, and is widely tipped to equal Stephen Hendry's record of seven world titles. Defending champion Mark Selby was eliminated in the second round by China's Yan Bing Tao. And on Monday, Australian Neil Robertson recorded a maximum 147 break, but was still defeated by Englishman Jack Klazowski. And finally, in Formula One, world champion Max Verstappen had a perfect weekend at the Emilia Romagna Grand Prix last weekend, taking maximum points for winning the sprint, the race, and collecting the fastest lap. The Dutchman substantially closed the gap at the top of the championship, having failed to finish two of the first three races of the season. Championship leader Charles Leclerc also made a mistake in the closing stages and had to settle for sixth place. Meanwhile, Lewis Hamilton had arguably his worst race for over a decade, finishing down in 14th on pure pace. This result comes at the end of a week in which he and tennis star Serena Williams have joined one of the consortia bidding to take ownership of Chelsea Football Club. So there are headlines this week, and now we'll bring in Alfie. It's a couple of weeks since we last chatted. Uh, a few big stories from the Premier League, a couple of key managerial changes at both ends of the table, really. Eric Ten Hag in officially in Manchester United, which we've obviously spoken about at great length before. And one that we've not um, had a show since it happened was Sean Dyche leaving Burnley. Burnley, since Sean Dyche left on Good Friday, have gone to take seven points from possible nine and have climbed out of the relegation zone. Um, so, yeah, a lot of initial confusion perhaps over that decision but so far it seems to be paying off they've leapfrogged Everton and are above the dotted line and uh, as it stands safe for next season crazy I think when that news came out everyone was shocked just because Sean Dyche you know he's he's been at uh he's been manager of Burnley I think for over 10 years or 10 years or something like that and it just seemed that if anyone was going to maybe get them out of this relegation scrap it would be Sean Dyche but as you mentioned, those results since he's left have been quite good. And I think Burnley are, are playing a bit better with a bit more freedom, maybe. And look, I thought they were they were doomed. I thought they were going down. Maybe that was informed by the fact that I really just didn't want or couldn't believe that Everton might actually go down. But the table doesn't lie. And like it's looking seriously ominous for, for Everton at the moment, especially with Burnley. I feel like if they've got this new lease of life and this kind of, I don't know, backs the wall mentality, which we saw a bit of from Everton against Liverpool for a while. Um, so it's, I think, look, it's called a relegation, relegation scrap for a reason. Both teams are going to be scrapping like properly. And I guess it's advantage Burnley at the moment, even though Everton have a game in hand, but you kind of, you know, it's it's quite hard to translate that into three points at this moment in time. But yeah, I mean, I was quite surprised when I heard that. It sort of came out of nowhere. I just assumed they were going to stick with him. It didn't really make much sense to me, especially not to replace him and just to put the guy, his assistant, or I, I can't remember who exactly is in charge now, but I think it's his assistant. Um and you know Ben Me to to help out and stuff. It just it seems surprising, but look, it's it's had an effect. So don't know what you made of it. Um, I mean, no, I was I was similarly confused. I thought it was. I think the number of relegation scraps that he's dragged them out of before. Obviously, two top ten finishes got him to uh, Europe as well. He's he, you know he seems the perfect man 
um, to take them out. But I mean, it's a, it's a, a classic kind of short term bounce, really. I mean, the, I think it's Michael Jackson, isn't it? I think he's the under 23s coaches or the assistant coaches stepped up. Um, I mean, he's never going to make a he's not never never, never going to make a full time career. You wouldn't have thought out of being a Premier League manager, but it is a, a classic case of a short term bounce for the seven or eight games. That's maybe the the the, the best he can expect. Maybe you can just about eat the best of them out of the, those seven or eight games. But beyond that, it, you know, they'll be looking for a more, uh, you know, a better, you know, better candidate to take the club going forward on a permanent basis. So I think mm. it's, it is a classic, you know, sack the manager, bring in a, you know, temporary one, just get that short-term balance, which is all they need at this point. They don't need stability for the next, you know, 30 games, whatever they need yeah. urgently. And it doesn't matter how they come about, but that, you know, they needed to inject something into that team, you know, give it a bit of an electric shock, like bring them into life. And if that was something as dramatic as sacking Sean Dyche, then, you know, if that was that, I'm sure it was probably the last thing they wanted to do really, but that's maybe that's all they felt they had left. Maybe that's the only option they had left. Um, I guess, I guess also like, you know, look, Burnley, I mean, the job that Sean Dyche has done is, you know, my flatmate's a big Burnley advocate and I I kind of want to see the back of them. I, I'm not fussed if they go down. But, you know, he's done an incredible job in terms of keeping Burnley competitive with the the amount of, like, net spend that's basically next to nothing. Mm. He's not been backed at all, like, by the owners, um, you know, whether that's because they're not wealthy enough or don't have the money. But he's done such a good job. But I guess it comes to a point where Burnley... I can't remember where they finished last season. I think they were relatively safe, but this season they've been very much like, you know, at the bottom of the league. And I guess the owners are kind of like, well, if we're looking forwards and we do have a chance of staying in the Premier League, like you said, a short-term kind of electric shock bounce. And then it's like, well, actually they maybe want a new manager to try and cement their position in the Premier League or try and rebuild a bit if they, if they go down to the championship. Maybe they just... Maybe it was just the right moment for a kind of clean break. I mean, no one saw it coming, but you know, maybe it will. It will. Um, yeah, it will have the desired effect, and it looks like it is at the moment. And I guess Everton are maybe looking <laughs> looking over, uh, kind of. Ah, what what are we going to do? Because that is seriously worrying for them. Um, yeah. Oh, I don't know. I still don't. I still don't see it. Like I, I think just because it's, it, we're not used to it. I just still don't see it happening. But it very much could. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll move on to Everton Liverpool in just a second. But um, you know, just a, it is an interesting comparison between the two sides because obviously Burnley have been criticised with partying with Sean Dyche. He's been, you know, he's part of the furniture there. He's been there for ten years and not settling to what they've got. They've not, you know, they've not settled. They are, you know, they are going, you know, going big or going home really by sacking Sean Dyche. Whereas Everton, conversely, have been criticised for sticking with the status quo and just accepting mid-table mediocrity for years. And they just kind of accidentally sleepwalks towards the bottom three. So it's kind of, it's quite contradictory for me because Everton are being criticised for, you know, not changing anything. But that's what, that was all criticism that was being levelled at Burnley, that they were changing something, perhaps... A little bit too radically. I think it's two very different um, approaches, and you know we'll yet to see which is the right one. Um, but I agree with you. It's difficult to comprehend Everton anywhere other than the Premier League. But you know, but that is just on the that's just on the reputation of the you know over however many years and decades. I think based on this season, it's very easy to see that side possibly even struggling in the Championship. The number of players who you'd imagine to leave. Yeah, I mean, thing is, Everton are like. Look, on the one hand, I look at their team and I'm like, look, there, there are some players who are serious championship level. Hmm. On the other hand, I look at some of their players and I'm like, look, okay, look, Jordan Pickford, he's an England England number one. I know he's got errors in his game, but still very experienced, good goalkeeper or good enough. I guess defence is where they're lacking a bit. I mean, they signed two fullbacks in January for, you know, substantial money. Um, they've had a lot of injuries with someone like Yerry Mina um, and then they've got like Godfrey, Holgate and Keane which isn't great I guess I think defensively is where they've been lacking yeah. I mean in midfield they've got Alan, who I think is a decent player yeah. Yeah, they've still got some quality in there with Decore I mean basically I'm saying they should have enough to stay up that quality of the squad with someone like Richarlison as well the two loan signings Van der Beek and Ali 
I know Calvert-Lewin's been injured. Anthony Gordon's looking really good. Damari Gray is all right. Iwobi's playing well. Like, they, they have decent enough players and you'd think that that would be enough. But, I mean, it's not been enough so far this season. So, yeah, I'm just going to have a look at their fixtures and see what they have left. Oh, they've got um, a really, really tough run coming up. Um, I think, well... So they got... Beat they got, but then they had Liverpool as well. They beat United. They yeah. did decently against Liverpool. They've got uh, Chelsea on the weekend at Goodison Park, which I've already said I feel like could go more like the Man United game. I just feel like they maybe are better positioned to f- sort of sit back and play how they did against Liverpool and United against the big teams. Mm-hmm. Then they've got Leicester, who I think will be focusing on their Conference League. Watford. These are both away, to be fair, and Everton haven't been great on the road. Then I've got two home games against Brentford and Crystal Palace. Tight games, and then they finish the season at Arsenal. Yeah, I mean, not easy. I mean, to be fair, it's not an awful lot more... I mean, it's more difficult, but it's not an awful lot more challenging than Burnley's, in fairness, I think, when I looked at Burnley's. Yeah. Um, I've certainly have won away since August or something. You know, it's really yeah. a massive Achilles heel for them. Burnley have also got Watford away. And then, the thing is, they've just won two on the bounce and they've got two clean sheets in a row. They've not lost in three. Like, momentum at this stage of the season, I think, is massive. Mm. Then they've got Aston Villa, who are struggling, who are also, like, 15th, I didn't realise, and not that far off. Not that far off the relegation places. Then Burnley have got Spurs, Aston Villa again, and then Newcastle, which won't be easy. But, yeah, I mean... I think also what I've learned from monitoring Arsenal's uh, top four push is that there's only so far you can read into like fixtures and, oh, that looks like a good fixture or like we'll win that one and then we'll lose that one. Like you just, you don't know. It's it's so up and down at the moment. You just have to take each game as it comes. And yeah, I think there will be uh, changes as we, as we move towards the final few games of the season for sure. Yeah, I know. I do agree. I think momentum is key at this day. I just think with, with Everton, I think it has been a story really of just momentum, but the wrong direction this season. I mean, you look at that side; it's a it's a, a potent mix of you know players who are either just not very good or are low on confidence or mm. low on commitment. You know, Deli Ali, for example, I think that Deli Ali sign, I think I said before, was ever, for me everything that's wrong with the Premier League at the moment. Forty million pounds for a player who just can't be bothered and has for several years shown that he's playing well below his potential. Um, you look at Van der Beek brought him in obviously another player who's incredibly low on confidence then you look at all the back four you know all the defenders you just named who are just generally just not Premier League quality and it's you're right on their day on their day like you can see for pretty much any team in the Premier League on their day they've got a side that's capable of getting a result but that's only going to get you so far when you look at the you know the other the calibre of the other teams are up against so every every side in the Premier League has got two or three players they could hang the hat on and, you know, turn to if they need a result. And Everton are no different, but you need you do need a little bit more than that at this stage of the season. They've been slipping so far in the wrong direction. It's, you know, that... Yeah. The thing is with Everton is that they, I remember, I thought that the tide was going to turn when they played Manchester City and they were at home. And again, I'm saying like at Goodison Park, they've actually largely been all right, but they lost that game 1-0 and they should have had a penalty against yeah, City. I remember, yeah. And then they got smashed by Tottenham, which was terrible. Then they lost at home to Wolves, which was tight. And then they beat Newcastle. And, you know, like, there's always, as you say, it's just been so inconsistent. There's been moments where they've actually played all right and it looks like the the momentum will build and then it's just undermined by a catastrophic performance where they get dismantled. You know, they lost to Burnley. They were up and then they lost 3-2. Like, that could end up being the defining result. So I just think in the way that Burnley over the last three games have gone unbeaten, that momentum might prove, you know, crucial in a way that Everton are kind of like, they lose one game and then they win the other. They need to go on a run. And I think, you know, it's, it's hard. It's, it's incredibly hard to do, not just for Everton, but for any team in the Premier League. Um, but yeah, look, they are well and truly down there. So I guess we'll see. Let's just talk then about, about the Merseyside derby, because obviously that was quite key at the the other end of the Premier League as well. I'll, Everton had it 19% possession, I think, and completed, I think, fewer than 100 passes throughout the whole game. I think they probably got more yellow cards and committed more fouls than they put passes together. Um, also, perhaps should have had a penalty. Um, I just, mm. 
it was a very Atletico Madrid style performance, really. It was, you know, everyone behind the ball, you know, put a few late challenges in, you know, make your presence felt. Um, and they did rattle Liverpool a little bit, in fairness, I thought. Um, but it's, it's the minimum you'd expect from a Merseyside derby, I suppose, ultimately. I, I, I'm not really sure how much you can read into that going forwards. But to be fair, like, I thought, yeah, it was Atletico Madrid-esque, but it was also, you know, reminiscent of a, of a Jose Mourinho kind of Chelsea performance where you really park the bus and you kind of accept that you're not as good as the opposition, but you you frustrate them and then try and hit them on the counter. And look, Everton did that quite well, actually, for the best part of 65 minutes or something like that. Um, I think when you compare it to the early in that Merseyside derby at, uh, at Goodison Park, when they still had Rafa Benitez under in management, you know, they got blown away. It was like 4-1 or something. They got absolutely battered. I don't think this was the same. I think you could see the pressure. You could see that Everton were actually effective in what they were trying to do. Uh, Liverpool obviously were feeling the pressure at the other side of the ta- other end of the table too. So I think, especially for example, with the Chelsea game coming up, we've seen that Everton's way of playing against the bigger sides can can actually reward rewards. You know, they were unfortunate to miss out against Man City. I know Tottenham was an exception, but they did well against United at Goodison Park. I think they'll do actually quite well against Chelsea at Goodison Park too. Um, so I think they ca- they should try and take stuff from from that performance. But I think, yeah, it's it's still quite ominous. And like you said, it's, it's what you'd expect from a from a Merseyside derby. But I think they did better than other than people might have been expecting. To be fair to them, and Liverpool you know, until they made a few substitutions were kind of out of ideas and, um, you know, they got the goals in the end. But yeah, I think Anthony Gordon looked really good. I think him and if Richarlison just can score a couple of goals, I mean, he missed some seriously good chances against um, Leicester, I think it was. I mean, I know they got the draw in the end, but they just need to start putting the chances away. But I think with those couple of players and if they keep a few key players fit at the back, like if Mina can can stay fit and Alan, yeah, you'd you'd hope that maybe they have a bit of momentum, but honestly, who knows? I'm I'm going to be watching in, watching very interestedly because it is very interesting. Yeah, no, it is. It's the it's well. To be fair, at both ends of the table, there is still you know an awful lot to catch retention. We're yet surprisingly at this stage of the season to have a side relegated for example you know I mean, Norwich probably effectively are on Watford as well but it is it is it is testament to the fact that it is a much tighter league this year it seems or you know up at the top it's down to one point Liverpool's better goal difference but one point down on City with five games to go um how do you see that going now then um I was I thought that I could imagine Man City like drawing a game I, I I thought that I could, I could see it, but having seen their last couple of games where they yeah. just absolutely blitzed Brighton and Watford, I thought Brighton could be a difficult one for them. They were made to work for it, but then, you know, it was absolutely fine for them after that. Um, I don't know. I don't really see it. I mean, they've got Newcastle, not an easy game, but it's at oh, the Etihad. Leeds before that. Leeds before Leeds that. Leeds before that. Yeah, that, you know, I mean, should be fine. West yeah. Ham who are going to be focused on Europa League. But also, I just looked at the table, you know, they're, they're not, they're three points ahead of uh, Wolves, but Wolves have a game in hand, so they don't want to drop out of the European places entirely. So I think West Ham will probably, like, I don't know, you kind of go all in on the Europa League or you don't want to just, if, if you don't win that, then you risk not having European football next season. Um, way, how do I see it going? I'm going to say Liverpool are going to do it because I think, there might be a twist, but look, City are in position. And if you're going to back anyone to win every single game, I think it's going to be Man City. So, mm. yeah, Hart says Liverpool, Head says Man City, if that's the right way around. Don't know. Uh, no, I, yeah, I mean, I'd have to, you know, say something similar probably. I mean, Liverpool have got Newcastle, then they've got Tottenham at home, uh, Aston Villa away. God, can you imagine if Steven Gerrard stopped them winning the league? And um, Wolves at home. On the final, wouldn't be, wouldn't be the first time that's no, no. really. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I just think you know, game for game, that seems like a harder running to me, and obviously starting off from a point behind as well. Um, 
I think Newcastle away at the moment as well. I mean, they've won like six on the bounce and yeah. they've, they've, I think in 2022, they've conceded the least number of goals or something like that. Or, you know, the metrics are really quite good for them. So I think that game, obviously I've considered it as well because Arsenal have got a trip to St. James's Park coming up. Like Liverpool, that is really not an easy game. I think it's this weekend actually. So that will be a big test. And it is, yeah, there are, there are a couple more like, uh, uh, pitfalls uh, in there than say Manchester City's fixture list I think so look they're in pole position but as you say it's great that it's still a title race and like it's still a relegation battle and it's still a race for top four I think normally it's kind of you know uh, it's decided already at this point of the season so it's good that going into the final five games it's seriously like all to play for Yes so I mean we've now that's that discuss the title race. Um, this is yeah, discuss the title race relegation. That leaves just a small matter of Arsenal v United, I think, to come on to mm. now. The, the race to the top four. Um, you and I obviously watched that very keenly. Um, Arsenal came out three one winners. Um, you know, fair result on the day. United did play well, but uh, Arsenal took the chance so United didn't, you know, obviously Fernandez missed a penalty, for example. Arsenal mm. just proved to be far more clinical on the day. Um, so yeah, let's move on to that. We've kind of addressed, as I said, the other two points of interest in the table. Um, now I've got the top four, I've got to throw Tottenham into that as well, obviously. Um, but yeah, as we were both on opposite sides of the fence that game, let's let's have a little chat about Arsenal v United. Um so yeah, I mean yeah. good performance, United, as I said. I was it's probably the best we've played this calendar year, I'd have to say. Um, tough place to go. You're obviously on a decent, decent run at the moment. I mean, you know, lost a few on the way, but relatively speaking, relatively speaking, in this weird old season where anyone can beat anyone, you're not in a in a particularly bad run of form. United, on the other hand, obviously have been pretty shocking under Rangnick. He's got the work. He's on a, I don't know, is it forty percent win rate, win, win percentage, or something, which for Manchester United's manager is it's the lowest for decades, I believe. Um, but you know, going to the Emirates wasn't a bad performance all in all. Uh, against a side lower down on the table would definitely have come away with a result. Um, but you can't go to the Emirates and county chickens, really. You need to be putting it in the back of the net. Um, so that's, you know, my my initial reaction, really. Yeah, I look, I I must confess, I did not... I mean, obviously, I enjoyed the victory and I enjoyed the goals a lot and I celebrated hard. But I really didn't enjoy watching the rest of the game because I was... It was on a knife edge. Like, Arsenal were were it was just really nerve-wracking I thought United had largely the better chances and this was a day where you know the the kind of 50-50 calls that on that could go your way or not kind of largely went in Arsenal's favour and that's just something that can happen and I think you know I've been <laughs> Arsenal fans have 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 felt that they've not gone their favor in their favour this season but you know, the fact that Bruno Fernandes missed a penalty. There are a couple of, you know, shaky offside penalty calls. And, you know, we got maybe a bit lucky in certain ways. And on the flip side, maybe United should have had Bruno Fernandes sent off. Absolutely. You know, there there were all these things that kind of went Arsenal's way largely. Um, and look, like United were terrible defensively, but I don't think Arsenal were much better. I think it was chaotic, like the Arsenal-Chelsea game. Um you know, a few days ago, it, yeah, it, I think Arsenal were on another day that it's two, it's two onto Arsenal. Bruno Fernandes scores that penalty and then it's a different game. And I think Arsenal don't win it. The fact that he missed it and then Jacker scores a thunderbolt, you know, it's like, where does that come from? It's kind of just like, that's the way it happens. And it's so hard to predict. You can't predict that. Um, so the way I saw it, an amazing win, especially having, you know, beaten Chelsea when no one was really expecting it. I mean, I had a sneaky feeling that we might be able to do something, but it's crazy to think, as you said, you know, we lost three on the bounce to Palace, Brighton and Southampton, scoring one goal in the process. And then we, you know, stick seven past United and Chelsea in six, in, in two games. So it's kind of like crazy. Mm. Um, but yeah, Arsenal were like, like they were against Chelsea, they were giving the ball away. They looked really suspect defensively, but we've just had to kind of like embrace the chaos at the moment because we've, as we tried to do against Palace and Brighton and a bit against Southampton, like we tried to 
do what what we have been doing so successfully but i think without key players to do that we saw that it was not possible so we just had to kind of embrace a different way of playing which is kind of like look just play to your strengths and hope that the weaknesses aren't uh, that the, the strengths kind of um are worth more than the weaknesses in a way so yeah i mean brilliant result very much enjoyed it arsenal back in the race of the top four because I thought after we lost those three games I thought god Tottenham are just going to do it and then obviously Tottenham drew to Brentford so yeah I mean crazy but I think yeah I don't know much what, what more to say on yeah. it to be honest I mean I, obviously I use the term you're in decent form um very lightly yeah. <laughs> you were on a pretty shocking run before that but you know two wins in, on the bounce at the stage of the season you know when you're up against the likes of the incredibly inconsistent Man United and Tottenham, it's it, you know, it's not that dissimilar from the kind of form you need just to survive in the league, really. You know, mm-hmm. the sort of form that Burnley or Everton, for example, would need. All you need, really, perhaps, is at this stage, just a couple of wins in a row to take yourselves into the top four. Um, I mean, United were, I mean, unofficially were kind of out of the running for a long time, I think. Even when we were up there, we were still slipping backwards. We were still constantly losing ground and losing momentum. We were still just about holding on yeah but I mean there was a moment last weekend where Brighton beat Brighton beat Spurs and then it was like right Arsenal this is your chance and then we lost to Southampton and you beat Norwich maybe you know less com- less convincingly than when you, you would have liked and then United were literally sitting in fourth and it was like right well how have they been that bad but they're still in it and then obviously things have changed so quickly again it's kind of the the order's literally inverted and yeah. now it's Arsenal, Spurs, United, and it looks like you know United have played a game more, and they're four four points behind Spurs and six behind it's Arsenal. So it looks like yeah. that's that's done now, top four wise. But you know, like as we said, Spurs have still got Liverpool. Um, Arsenal have still got Spurs. We've still got the North London derby, which will probably be the decider. Um, Arsenal still needs to travel to St James's Park, so like it's still to play for. And as we've seen, like. You know, Arsenal can lose three games and then beat Chelsea and United and Spurs can win loads and then not win against Brentford and Brighton. It's just kind of like, yeah, take each game as it, each game as it comes. Yeah, I mean, I, I think just looking at the table here, I mean, firstly, it's not a good season to be a Premier League defender, really. Um, I mean, United conceded 51. They've conceded more than Burnley, conceded only just fewer goals than Everton. You know, it, it's... The sides of the top of the league, you know, Man City, Liverpool. You, they, I know, I know that they used to put in sides away, you know, three, four nil a lot of the time, but mm. they grind out a lot more one nils, you know, two nils, two ones than people, you know, maybe realise. They don't just turn up and win five nil every week. You know, the top sides can grind out those results, those one nils, those, for example, when they're not playing well, and that's something that's been severely lacking for United. You know, conceded fifty-one goals, only scored fifty-three. You know, it's not, it doesn't. You know, it doesn't bode well for those those tight games no, where you just need to nick that one goal. Um, so I think that for me, that that ultimately is what's ruled United out. You know, when you look at the goals scored, United are, United are well amongst it. You know, scored very similar to Arsenal and Tottenham. It's just the the back line really that's let them down, and that obviously is the foundation of any good team. You look at City and Liverpool have conceded twenty one and twenty two. United have conceded well over twice the number of goals of, of those two, for example. Mm. Um, so yeah, but I, I mean, you would know that just from watching United, just from even vaguely following United this season. You know, their defensive woes have been very well documented. Um, and you know, conceded three against Arsenal on a day when they could easily, like you say, have, have, have taken a point or even gone and won the game. But then to go and concede three mm. again, where for large parts they were arguably the better side, arguably, mm. um, definitely. You know, so I think that ultimately is where they find themselves. Uh, and it's it's quite it's what it's, it's what I mean really. It's a sorry time because you can be two 0 up against Norwich and then in an instant it's two all against the bottom side. You know, it's just there's, there's such frailty and such uncertainty at the back. And you know, even in fairness, Harry Maguire was dropped at the weekend, and I know he's been maybe scapegoated a lot of the part times this season. But even with him being dropped, they look no more no more assured at the back. There doesn't seem to be any real obvious solution. I think until that's sorted out, I don't think you can be. You know, if he wants the table resets back to zero, you know, come August, if United play like they have been doing for the last few months, they'll be, you know, 
rooted in the bottom half of the table like that. It's it is a shocking run of form, really. Um, yeah, defensively, I, I have to say, like, look, Arsenal have been pretty bad defensively recently. You know, and like Chelsea have. Uh, I mean, against Arsenal, and then you know they conceded four against Brentford, three against Real Madrid, or two against Real Madrid, or whatever. But United have kind of been more consistent in that regard. Um, I just think like it's a seriously strange, underperforming, undercoached, like underachieving team. But that back line, you know, Alex Tellers is is not really that very good at defending from what I've seen. Obviously, Luke Shaw's injured. Harry Maguire's having a tough time. Varane and Lindelof looking not how you want your centre-backs who cost a certain amount of money to to play. Uh, you know, there's been chopping and changing at right-back. It, it, it is a bit of a mess, but it just seems like there's not been a focus on kind of coaching this this back four in a way that makes them kind of a, like slightly solid. Um, but yeah, as you say, like to concede in a week, they conceded twice against Norwich, four against Liverpool, and then three against Arsenal. It's not great. Not at all, no. And we've spoken at great length in the past, we won't do it again, um, about Eric Ten Hag. He is now officially going to be coming in as the manager. And it is as the manager, not as a head coach. And he's got a very, very hands-on role there. Um, mm-hmm. Ralph Reinick spoke about the need to get maybe seven or eight players in. I think it's why that sets a Pogba will be leaving. Um you know, it will be a massive summer of change. The head scouts also, I think the, the head scout and one of the other um, main scouts at United have, have both left or are both leaving yeah. this season. So it's a summer of massive upheaval. You know, sometimes sometimes it works, you know, a huge change like that. It might be one of those, you know, short-term gain, just, you know, a bit of a bounce, lift kind of the negative energy. But, we, you know, we'll see. I think you struggle to see it getting any worse. I mean, maybe the, maybe looking at the table at the start of the next season, it might not make for grim reading, but I would expect I'd expect to see positive changes. I think um, the thing is, you know, Ranyak compared it to <laughs> needing to undergo open heart surgery, which I was kind of like, I was a bit surprised that he would say that. Mm. Just it, I look, maybe it's true, but as someone who's in charge temporarily and also, you know, going to, adopt a consultancy role I just think like that's not very helpful to kind of say when you're losing mm. um but you'd like to think that this is the lowest of the low for United but it might also take time under Ten Hag to to kind of get it right and you know they've got so many players out of contract this summer I'm sure a lot of players that he wants to kind of get out of the of the building I mean already today like a story broke in the times that so, like players are leaking information that they're unsure whether Ten Hag has got the kind of character and authority to deal with the dressing room. And it's like, it just looks as if this kind of group of players is is so not willing to just like get on with their jobs and kind of, you know, it seems like an incredibly fractured and kind of toxic dressing room, which I kind of knew was the case, but only over the last week have I thought, what, Christ, like that is maybe going some way to explain the difficulties at the moment when, you know, Jesse Lingard's telling Paul Scholes that it's, you know, terrible in the dressing room. And it's like, Ten Hag will do his best to kind of sort that out. And I think that will get sorted out to a large extent by, you know, players like Paul Pogba and Cavani and all these big names maybe leaving who, you know, it's been known for a while that they're going to be leaving. But there's so much work to be done uh, and so much coaching to be done. Um, So it might take a while, but, yeah, I think you'd like to think that the, the upward trajectory starts once Ten Hag's in the building. Because I think right now it's just this kind of like st- kind of stagnant like canter towards the end of the season where there's just not much going on and it's just really quite uh, really quite terrible. Yeah, we'll move on to the Champions League in just one second. I just want to just one more point that I've been thinking about that I just wanted to raise with you just on the topic of Manchester United. Yeah. I mean, obviously... It's it's fairly obvious at this point now. I mean, as as, as poorly perhaps as Ryan Nick's done, and as as little as he's managed to assert himself, um, and he has to take some responsibility for that. Similarly to you know how the manager before him had to take some responsibility for the side not performing. But I think it's becoming increasingly clear with every manager that United have had that it's not the manager who's wholly responsible. And the players do have to take a mm. a huge proportion of the responsibility. 
Um, but on the on the flip side to that, as I said, what I was thinking, how much credibility does Ralph Rangnick have in a consultancy role, particularly after how this season's gone and kind of how the, the side reacted to him? I, I just, I don't see that working either when he moves upstairs because everything he's touched so far just doesn't seem to have worked. And I'm not sure how you can really have any faith in him when he takes on a, a slightly different role. I think... I mean, clearly his appointment as interim manager has been quite disastrous and was not the right decision. As we pointed out at the time, like he's a big name in football, but he's kind of like conspicuous in his like absence. It's just like, what, what, what is he actually, what does he actually do? And he's not managed a, a top level team, really. You know, he's managed a few teams in Germany, but he's not had experience managing in the Premier League or a club like Manchester United. And largely the work that he's been praised for is kind of building clubs up from the bottom in a way that, you know, you, you sustain a kind of, you adopt a level of uh, style of play and you recruit the same sorts of players. And I think in that regard, maybe him and Ten Hag will be able to work together. Um, but it's hard for his reputation not to be tarnished by like kind of the work that he's presided over, you know, the last few months. But I, I think... There's a there must be a reason why he's kind of well regarded in that kind of technical director kind of role, and I know that's not the one that he'll be adopting at United, but I think maybe his kind of his experience in overseeing a kind of cultural reset or a complete you know um, revolution in terms of how a club operates, like he you know sort of did at Leipzig, and maybe that's that will benefit United just to have someone who will ensure that there's consistency in an approach and like you stick to your kind of like plan and look I think with Ten Hag they'll have to give him time to to achieve that and I think maybe with Ranić upstairs that will help just because he you know he's someone who does know football I mean it's not very obvious when he's a manager of Manchester United but he is someone who who knows you know the player market and probably like you know I mean, I, I still am slightly unclear as to what he actually is kind of well-regarded for, but, mm -hmm. you know, he he's definitely an innovator and maybe maybe United requires some kind of innovative thinking at the moment because it is, you know, quite ominous given where they are at the moment. Yeah, I'd agree. I think once, he's, once we see a, him maybe in a role that plays more to his strengths, like you say, he's not really necessarily cut out for managing a top side. He's maybe more suited to going upstairs. So maybe that will play to his strengths a little bit more and we'll... United will start to get a bit more out of him, but we'll wait and see on that one. Um, like I say, I would like to move on. I think we'd both like to move on probably to the, the European semi-finals that are coming up this week. Um, so we'll do that now. And obviously tonight is the first of them. Uh, Manchester City taking on uh, Real Madrid, something they have done before at this stage in the competition. Real Madrid, I believe it was four seasons ago. Um, five seasons ago, 2017, wasn't it? Real Madrid beat them in the semi-final. Uh, so City have been here before, um, obviously more most recently last season when they, they actually did reach the final. I mean, this is, for me, this is too close to call. I mean, City are clearly the better side, but Real Madrid do it time and time again in this competition. And obviously Pep Guardiola, season after season, has maybe become known for overthinking games or slightly underachieving at this stage. I'm just, I, I think there's so many factors in play, just going back over previous seasons and previous form in the Champions League that I think just tips the balance to be a lot more equal than, you know, when you look at both teams at face value at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I'm just looking back. So it was in 2020, they last met in the, uh, what was it? A round of 16 and City won 2-1 in both games, um, which, you know, suggests that Man City might be in a, in a, in a stronger position. Having said that, you know, Real Madrid still have that kind of like atmosphere around them where they're just like, you know, the kings of the Champions League. But I think Man City should be going into this favourites, I think. Um, yeah, I I, I'm very excited to see the game. Um, and like you say, like whether Guardiola can kind of like, um, you know, not be not be drawn to make crazy changes and, and do any weird things with his team as he has done in big games previously. But I think City, City should... I expect them to go through is basically what I'm saying. What about you? No, I would I would agree. I think all things 
you know, all things being equal, barring any shots, which you obviously can't rule out in the Champions League semi-final, I think Man City should be going through. But you look at Real Madrid, and I'm 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 not the biggest expert as how they're getting on in, in La Liga. I know they're they are doing you know more than enough to secure the title over there. I think they beat Seville um the other week. Benzema obviously mm-hmm. arguably the best player in the world at the moment. Um and they've just got everything right at the Champions League. You know, they dispatched with Chelsea. Um, they turned it around against PSG. You know, they've they've not had an easy run to this stage of the competition, in fairness. You know, you don't get much harder runs to the final than, you know, PSG, Chelsea, you know, Manchester City. And they've mm. they've come through it and they've I mean, they were under a lot of pressure against PSG, but ultimately it was a very, very assured performance. Chelsea, obviously, again, very composed. Um They've just they just get it right in this competition, and I won't be surprised to see Pep Guardiola. Pep Guardiola I mean, he might get it right. It's far from me to say if Pep Guardiola is going to get going to get it right or not. But yeah, I would I would certainly expect, given how Madrid have been performing, that he will change something up, maybe go slightly radical, and then it's it's an unknown because you know we've seen before it'll you know work wonders for him, and then other times it's gone disastrously for him. I remember it was Leon, wasn't it, the other year? Um, completely, you know messed that one up. And then I think when he was at Bayern Munich and lost 8-0 to Barcelona on aggregate, on aggregate or something, um, mm. or Real Madrid. But, you know, he's got his, these decisions of his. You know, the Champions League final last year didn't start Fernandinho, did he? And they, they lost the game. Was it Fernandinho who didn't start? He made some strange selection in his lineup. So, was you know, I think he played. I think he played Fernandinho and Rodri or something like that and left out like a... Like a, that was a player right. who we yeah. expected to start, something like that. Yeah, but I think once Guardiola starts overthinking it and starts trying to get, you know, maybe a little bit too clever, it could go one of two ways. Um, yeah, I, think if Man, I think if Man City play the game, I think they win. Um, but it, yeah. well, it wouldn't, like I say, it wouldn't surprise me to see Guardiola tamper with it a little bit. And then, you know, it's, it's a massive unknown for me. Thing is, like, you know, because they're still fighting on, on all fronts, uh, Man City, they've still got the league to, to consider. I think they. I don't think they'll change too much against Real Madrid. Um, having said that, you know, I know Guardiola is very much it's focused on his game, but when he when he sees a threat from the opponent, like I think maybe he'll do something different in terms of having Vinicius on that left hand side. Having said that, Kyle Walker is probably the ideal kind of defender against someone like that. And we saw Reese James last last um, in the previous round defend really well against Vinicius because he's a real danger man. Um, I think, you know, obviously Karen Benzema is the danger man there. Um, you'd like to think that Ruben Diaz and uh, Imre Laporte will probably be all right to deal with them. Um, I think Cancelo is suspended for this leg, so maybe it'll be interesting to see what they do at left-back, um, whether it'll be Zinchenko or maybe Nathan Ake, who went off injured, I think, at the weekend. But, yeah, I, I think they'll play their game and I think they'll win. But, again, it's like it's over two legs. Real Madrid always have that capacity to just switch it on um, and get a few goals out of nowhere. And I'm really looking forward to see the kind of midfield battle between, you know, on the one hand, you've got like De Bruyne and Bernardo Silva and, you know, Rodri. And then you've got Casemiro, Cruz and Modric, um, the kind of old guard. And yeah, I'm really excited to see. And maybe Benzema as well as, as the kind of big big forward at Madrid will, sh- will show... City kind of what they're missing in terms of having a proper number nine. Who knows? Or maybe Real Madrid uh, City would be like, look, we don't need a number nine. We we can we can play how we play. But very fascinating. I'm very excited for this evening. To be fair, yeah. I, I mean, I'm just, City have enough. Yeah. Yes, I'm just looking tonight. Man City are obviously at home tonight, and I still have to keep reminding myself that away goals aren't don't as count, as yeah. anymore. Which you know, it was completely changes the dynamic actually of 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 many ties. You know, when you take out significance for away goals, but. I think, you know, in a practical sense, it doesn't change a huge amount necessarily. I mean, Man City, you'd think, still need results now. You don't want to be going to the Bernabeu needing to, you know, pull something out of the hat. So in that sense, I think away goals, I don't think it changes much really. I think as long as Real Madrid away from home tonight can take something back to Spain with them, um, I think it's definitely advantage them. But if Man City can come away with a win tonight and they can, they've got something to defend when they're over in Madrid, then like I say, I would fancy them to be able to do that. And then obviously we've got the other semi-final tomorrow night. We've got Liverpool taking on Villarreal, the second England versus Spain semi-final. And it's fairly obvious there who the favourites for that one are. Um, they met before, I believe, in the Europa League a few seasons ago when Liverpool reached the final and lost against Seville. 
so they have a little a little bit of history, not very much, and it was in the Europa League, but um, the sides have met before. Klopp obviously was manager in uh, Liverpool back then as well. So it's a side that he has faced in, at this stage of a European competition before. Again, Liverpool, clearly, you would expect to dispatch with them. But Villarreal under Emery, they've, they've gone on a very good run to get here. Started with, obviously, winning the Europa League last season. They dispatched with Bayern Munich. They came through a tough group as well this season with Manchester United, Atalanta, and beat Juventus uh, as well. Beat Juventus. They've, you know, they similar to, to Real Madrid. In fairness, they've, I'd say they've had a much more difficult route to this stage than Man City and Liverpool. Which yep. uh, once you go out there and you, the, you know, the balls in play perhaps doesn't count for a huge amount, but it will, it will give them belief that they can go out and, you know, get a result at Anfield. Definitely. Oh yeah, I think Villarreal are going to really. I don't think it's going to be an easy, easy, easy couple of games for Liverpool. I think. If the, is the first leg at Anfield, did you say? Yeah, that's right. First leg at Anfield. So, look, you expect them to kind of sit in. And and I think, look, Champions League nights at Liverpool, they could blow Villarreal away, but they've been very solid mainly and they execute this kind of counter-attacking game plan very well. They've got players who are dangerous on the break. And then in the return leg, I think, look, Villarreal make a fast start. They could get in Liverpool's faces and... I think Unai Emery will be very well prepared for this game and he'll want to make a good impression. And I think Villarreal, like you say, are not going not gonna to be frightened at all. Um, they've got the European pedigree of late and I think there's a real kind of, you can tell there's a real kind of relationship between the manager and the fans and the players, especially in the Champions League. Because in the league, they're kind of like, you know, they're like 15 points off top four or something. But they um, they save the best for, the, for European games. And I think... That's also going to be a very interesting game because also Liverpool have kind of got, they've got Villarreal on the Wednesday and then they've got the early kickoff, I think, against uh, Newcastle maybe on the Saturday or something yeah, like that's that. Yeah, right. Yeah, they do. So, and it's away at St. James's Park. So, look, both of those games are huge for 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 Liverpool and it's kind of like Villarreal will, will not be a walkover. So I'd be interested to see how Klopp kind of manages it and, and yeah, Again, look, I expect Liverpool to go through, but I don't think it's going to be easy at all. So what are we thinking there? We're thinking an all English, an all English I think, final. I think you've got to look towards that. I think it's got to be uh yeah. I mean, look, Liverpool could win the quadruple, which is kind of crazy. And I honestly, like a lot of people don't want them to do that. I'm kind of like if they do that, I'd just kind of be in awe and I'd just be like, wow. I kind of want them to do it because then I think they just deserve it so much. Um, and no one's done it before and I wouldn't mind. I think this Liverpool team has, have been so good over the last few years and I love the way that they've developed. So, But I think, yeah, it'll be an all-English final and then we'll see how it goes in the league as well. Um, and then obviously Liverpool are in the final against Chelsea in the FA Cup. So it'll be, they've won the Carabao Cup already, yeah. It makes a pleasant change, doesn't it? I think we, I think from when Manchester United reached, oh, well, Chelsea won it, sorry, in 2012 and then English sides are quite barren running the. Champions League, I don't think got to the final for a number of years. Um, but then it'll be three three All-English finals in the last five seasons or something, won't it? Should, well, should it happen? Obviously, it's a long... There's 360 minutes of football to be played. But, you know, it's 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 pleasant, it's satisfying to see how the English sides have turned it around. And then you look in the... Well, British sides in the Europa League as well. You know, there's a, a huge English and British presence still at this stage of the European... Big time. ...calendar. And also, like, Chelsea... I know they crashed out to Real Madrid, but they were pretty exceptional in that second leg at the Bernabeu. Um, look, they they kind of like fell apart a bit, or you know, Real Madrid scored some really good goals. But I thought Chelsea were really, really good. Um, and yeah, like you say, representation at semi final. We've got two teams in Champions League semis. We've got a team in the we got at all levels in the you know in the Europa League and then the Conference League as well. We've got West Ham and Leicester. It's great. I, I mean. And Rangers, not to forget, uh, obviously Scottish Scottish team in the Europa League semis as well. So, love to see the kind of British representation, and um, yeah, we'd hope that West Ham. It's a shame that they're not playing Barcelona; they're playing Frankfurt. But look, I hope that West Ham definitely. I'd love to see them win the Europa League. That would be great. Yeah, I will. As someone who's just down the road from Frankfurt, it was uh, yeah. That Barcelona game was mental at the at the. Were you there? Well, no, I wasn't there, but I was in. I'm in. I'm in Mainz, which is what twenty minutes yeah, from yeah, Frankfurt. Yeah. So there's a a large contingent here, and I've not, I've not seen excitement around a football game. Wow. Like really, it was absolutely incredible. I mean, it's a shame that West Ham aren't playing Barcelona, but at the same time, 
Um, it'll be certainly be interesting to see all the all those fans over here because I'm sure I'll see a few West Ham fans over the yeah yeah, yeah definitely days. but um, yeah also actually I mean not not a huge amount to talk about but uh, Bayern Munich are here on on Saturday afternoon seeing Bayern Munich in the flesh wow um, that'll be fun so, I mean they, just, they, uh, they won the league last weekend against yeah Bayern. I saw so I'm hoping they don't put out a second a second eleven this weekend which would be a bit I feel like Bayern Munich. They they kind of every time they win the league and they win it quite early, then they just win all the rest of their games like seven nil or something. That might be me making it up, but I feel like they don't really tend to slow down at the end of the season. So I mean, they've got. I mean, I'm not. No, they've got yeah, nothing I, to play for after they're out of the Champions League, out of the German Cup. Uh, Lewandowski's yeah. chasing his own goals record as well, still. Yeah, yeah. So, so they'll definitely be playing for things, and also like they, you know, they'll they'll be hurting that they they uh, got knocked out of the Champions League by Villarreal. So I think they'll want to be keeping, you know, some 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 high levels of performance. Obviously, we hope that mines kind of uh, don't get we, battered. We will on, be hoping. We, we will yeah. be hoping that. Um, so that's what that's the football I'm watching. What have you got planned this weekend? Are you watching the mighty Arsenal? Yeah, so this weekend, um, yeah, West Arsenal have got West Ham on Sunday, um, which, look, we saw West Ham rotate heavily against Chelsea uh, at the weekend. And I think given that they've got the Thursday Europa League game, which I think, is that at home or away? Um, uh, they're at home. At home on they're at home. All right. So I think even so, they probably rotate. I mean, they don't have any centre-backs at the moment. Um, don't. And Craig Dawson, who can play in the Europa League, can't play in the Premier League because he got sent off against Chelsea. So Arsenal, it's a kind of a good time, you'd think, on paper to be playing West Ham without any centre-backs who probably will rotate and be completely focused on the Europa League. Uh, having said that, look, Chelsea only just got over the line against West Ham um, and it's a still a Lord London derby, but I'll be watching that game very, very tense. Um, I think Spurs have got Spurs have got Leicester as well, which I think, again, they'll be preoccupied with their Conference League semi-final. Um I think it's who are they playing in this Conference League semi final? Uh, Leicester, Roma. Roma. That's, yeah. Jose that's Mourinho. Huge game, yeah, against Mourinho. Brendan Rodgers versus Mourinho. Mm. Um, so, yeah, look, I'll be keeping an eye on those results for sure. And other than that, I mean, yeah, obviously keeping an eye on uh, Liverpool and Newcastle, but my weekend will be mainly focused on, on the build up to the Arsenal game for sure. United and Chelsea as well on Thursday night. That's uh, I'm yep. not sure how relevant that is for Arsenal anymore. I think Chelsea may be slightly out of reach. United obviously have fallen away, but could still have some implications. For the top yeah, team. that's the kind of game as an Arsenal fan where I'm like, oh, just like a nil-nil draw or kind of like a you know a dour. I don't want any team battering the other. I'd rather Chelsea didn't batter United, although it would be quite funny. I think uh, you know just kind of like. Yeah, as an Arsenal fan, I don't want to see any team do well in that game. <laughs> Makes perfect sense. Um, I mean, yeah, I don't have any faith in United to get a result, but Chelsea have shown the potential to have a little bit of a wobble. So we'll wait yeah. and see on that one. Um, I think we'll leave it there for this week then, on that note. Um, thanks for listening. Thanks for joining me. Alfie will obviously watch all of those fixtures of interest. We should have a great show next week, hopefully. There's some great games on this week. Um, make for a good discussion next week. Uh, thanks for joining me. Thanks for listening and see you later. Bye-bye.